Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Chapter 4 Love Loss Year 30 B.T.W. Before the Wizard Beatrice and the child, who she now knew as Tip, short for Tipitarius, wandered aimlessly through the woods in search of an exit. At this point, Beatrice did not really care if they found her home. Just getting out of the woods would be a great turn of events. At least then, they would be safe. Well, safer, that is. It felt like hours passed as they trekked through the woods. Beatrice knew that was impossible, though. The sun was not far from setting when she left home earlier that day. If hours had indeed passed, the sun would have set by now. She tied my mother to a chair, said Tip, breaking the long-held silence. His voice was cold and emotionless. She burned her alive. Just by staring at her. She did not start a fire or use a torch. Just stared. Beatrice said nothing and squirmed uneasily as she looked down at the boy walking beside her. She loosened her grip on the boy's hand, not trying to pull away, but trying to signal her discomfort. The signal went unnoticed, or was simply being ignored. My brother, he continued in the same uncaring, unflinching tone, was drowned. It was the strangest thing. She drained all the water from the well. I watched as he bloated, gasping for air. The water, it came out of his eyes, out of his nose, out of his mouth. And then he was dead. And she did all this without so much as laying a finger on him. I don't think you need to relive the horrors of your morning, Beatrice said softly. Her voice a small, hushed whisper. Her hand felt cold as Tip tightened his grip on her. Soon her entire arm felt the same chill. She looked down at him, about to tell him to let go when she noticed her skin. It was taking on a light blue coloration. She pulled away with such a force she immediately felt ashamed. Ashamed that she feared this child. Ashamed that she let this fear get in the way of her own caring nature. It was a fear that made her feel selfish and unloving. Perhaps it was not the boy that was cold, but herself.
Can I live with you? Tip asked. When we get out of the forest, I have no one else. His voice cracked as his small, cold hand found Beatrice's warm hand once again and wrapped around it. Beatrice felt her body grow cold as she looked down at her young traveling companion with a warm, forced sympathy. Yes, she answered. This was not the answer she wanted to give, but instead felt compelled to give. You can. My husband and I will take you in, and you can live as if you were our own child. You will be safe. I promise. She hung my father from the trees, Tip continued. She used a rope made from their green vines and wrapped them around his neck. I watched as he climbed up to the highest branch without hesitation. And then he just jumped. Beatrice let go of his hand and crossed her arms, rubbing the outsides of them trying to warm herself. My sister got the worst of it, said Tip. She stop it, exclaimed Beatrice as she turned to the boy and dropped to her knees. She placed a hand on each shoulder, both arms at once turning blue. The pain was intense, cold yet burning at the same time, like a thousand red-hot needles pressing into her flesh all at once. Against the pain, or maybe even because of it, her grip tightened, digging her long nails into the soft green fabric of his vest. Just stop it. You don't need to tell me what happened. Sorry, said Tip, as he shrunk down and pulled himself free before taking a few steps back putting a safe distance between them, putting Beatrice out of reach. My God, said Beatrice, her voice shocked and guilt-ridden. I, I didn't mean to. She looked at her hands. Their peachy coloration returned once more. I'm so sorry. I, I, I had no right to talk to you that way. Her words were well-intentioned, even if the delivery and her actions were strong-handed and harsh. She began to weep softly as her arms and hands fell to the leafy ground. I don't know what came over me. I'm so sorry. Tip slowly walked over to her and placed a hand on her shoulder. As the coldness returned... Beatrice remembered exactly what had come over her. She hated it. She hated this feeling. She hated this boy, this child. 
She hated herself for the hatred she felt so deep within her soul. It was a vicious cycle, and she wanted nothing more than to get away from it, to break free of it. There was no escaping some things, and this maddening, chaotic symphony of emotions that currently rang inside her head and within her soul was one of those things. She pulled away from Tip and stood up once more. Breathing heavily, she brushed the leaves from her dress and the dirt from her hands. She turned to walk away, Tip several feet behind. She felt better with each passing step, with each added inch of distance between her and the boy. Her heart began to slow, and her empathy for the child's plight returned once more. By now they found themselves in a rather airier part of the forest. It was much less menacing, and the trees bore fruit of every variety. Tip looked around in awe as his stomach made a loud, gurgling noise. Beatrice turned back to make sure he was okay, only to find him holding his stomach and looking at the ground. You're hungry? she asked softly, sadly. It's okay, said Tip. I was fine until I saw all this fruit. He looked up at the trees, his eyes trained on a large, shining red apple. I've gone longer without food before, though. I'll be fine until we get out of the woods. Until we get home. The voice of Beatrice's father rang in her head once more. Never. Pick the fruits from the trees. Never. She looked at Tip. He was nearly drooling as he looked longingly at the apple. She gave it serious consideration before reaching up to it and pulling it from its branch. It made a small snapping sound as the stem broke free. She looked at its shining surface her pretty face reflecting in it. As she turned to hand the fruit to the boy, she found he was gone. Tip? she asked nervously. There was fear in her voice. But she was not sure what it was fear of. Was it fear for the child? Or was it fear of the child? Hiding. Waiting. Tip, this is no time for games. She looked around and listened to her surroundings. Every sound in the forest was amplified in her ears, overwhelming and deafening. The sound of Tip's voice was noticeably absent. The leaves rustled and the trees creaked and swayed as another cold, strong wind blew past her. Tip, she repeated. This isn't funny. Come out from wherever you are 
come out. It just... This isn't funny. She felt something in her hand. She felt something in her hand and looked down. The apple was shriveling and rotting. The skin had become paper-thin, and a slimy mush had begun to seep out of it. Out of sheer panic, she clenched her fist. The apple burst like a fresh blister with a wet splatter. She looked back up and watched as the trees, one by one, uprooted themselves and started to close in on her. Her father was right. His warnings were not in vain. And now, she was going to pay the price for not heeding them. She let out a short scream as Tip jumped out from the branches of a tree and landed in front of her. Don't you know, he asked, that living here, near the living forest of Oz, his voice no longer his own, but instead the familiar yet somewhat distorted voice of Beatrice's loving father. You must be aware of your surroundings. Don't you know to always keep an eye out for the way back home and to never, ever Pick the fruits from the trees, or trust the creatures or beings you meet out here. Didn't your father tell you that for every god out there, there are three devils in here? Beatrice was silent. She looked around and saw the trees were no longer advancing, but now bore faces on their trunks. As she turned her eyes back to Tip once more, he was no longer alone. Beside him was a young woman. Not just any young woman, but a mirror image of herself. Her doppelganger looked down at Tip. You've done well. For a boy, she said snidely. You have brought the beauty of the outside to me. And for that, you and your friends are free. Beatrice turned around at the sound of something moving behind her. The trees parted, creating a path out of the forest. In the moon's light, she could see her house from where she stood. It was small and distant, but it was there. The ground shook as a loud, thunderous thumping rumbled through the landscape. A large creature burst through the trees and took its place in the center of the now-cleared path. It looked at Tip for a moment, before letting out a loud, screeching roar. The best way to describe this creature to you, my loyal listener, is to say that it looked like a giant wooden Komodo dragon. 
Instead of scaled flesh, it had large chunks of moss-covered bark. Resting on top of the behemoth was a tall man with a pumpkin for a head. Bright orange seed-filled guts hung from its carved face, with its smiling mouth and joyous triangular eyes. Beatrice looked back to Tip as he jumped for joy. She watched as he started running for the beast and its pumpkin-headed rider. He was stopped short as the doppelganger grabbed him by the collar of his shirt and lifted him from the ground. She turned him toward her and looked into his cold eyes with her own. No more magic, child, she said sternly. No more giant beasts. No more pumpkin jacks. No more magic. Tip looked at her. No, ma'am. No more magic. Go on, then, said the doppelganger as she dropped him to the ground before kicking him in the back, forcing him to move faster. Without so much as giving Beatrice a second look, Tip ran past her and climbed the beast. With his pumpkin-headed friend, he rode off into the distance. Beatrice watched as the trees sealed the exit. She turned back to see her double, who no longer looked like her, but instead a younger, petite woman. She almost looked more like a child than an adult in this form. She had light blonde hair, so short it did not even cover her ears. Beatrice looked the young woman in her cold blue eyes. She took several steps back, trying to keep her distance. The woman simply smiled in return. Are you the witch? Beatrice asked. I never cared for that word myself, said the woman. But yes, I am. You, however, may call me... Mombi. Did you kill that boy's family? Asked Beatrice, stepping back once more, only to be stopped by a large tree, bearing a sinister grin in its twisted trunk. I did not kill that boy's family, replied Mombi. As far as Tipitarius is concerned, I was his family. It was your son? Your slave? Your what? Apprentice? Asked Beatrice. There was a level of disgust in her voice that seemed to irritate the witch. He was none of those things, she replied calmly. Yet he was all of those things. And so much more. Are you going to kill me? She mustered up what little courage she could, and stood straight with broad shoulders. I'm not going to kill you, said Mombi. But I'm afraid I cannot let you return home, either. 
Beatrice stood silently. The words, I'm afraid I cannot let you return home, were crushing. She felt herself shrink as the rest of her courage was completely sapped from her body. You took something, said Mombi. Something that does not belong to you. Beatrice looked down at the ground where the remains of the apple, ripe with decay, still laid at her feet. I did it for Tip, she said, justifying her crimes against the forest. I did it for Tip, repeated Mombi mockingly. The reason is immaterial, my dear. Beatrice felt a rock-hard lump rising in her throat as Mombi slowly approached her. The witch placed a cold, calloused hand to Beatrice's soft, warm face. They looked each other in the eyes for several seconds before Mombi slid her hand down to Beatrice's neck, wrapping her fingers around it tightening her grip. Beatrice gasped for air. She raised both hands to Mombi's one and clawed at it in a failed attempt to free herself of the witch's now tightening grip. She began to panic as her air supply began to run out. She could feel her face getting hot and cold at the same time. Mombi simply smiled as the fear in Beatrice's eyes turned to terror. As her light complexion took on a deep purple and red hue, Beatrice kicked wildly as her feet left the ground. Mombi continued to smile. She did nothing to raise her victim from the forest floor. Instead, the ground beneath Beatrice's feet gave way, forming a large, foreboding pit. Perhaps someday, Mombi said quietly, pulling her victim close and whispering in her ear, You will be free. But today is not that day. She unclenched her hand and watched as the young woman, who wanted nothing more than to help a small child, fell into the darkness below.